We just read on Simchat Torah the beautiful parasha. It's called Vezota Beracha. This is the blessing. The Beracha is highlighted by Moshe Rabbeinu's departure from this world. And his departure came with a blessing for the Jewish people for then and for their future. Vezota Beracha the word zot usually is pointing to something. Like it says, Ze Eli when Am Yisrael was in the sea, crossing the Yamsuf. In the song of Az Yashir, it says, Ze Eli Ze is when you point to something, something right in front of you. As I'll say that they had prophecy, like the great prophets, with the word ze. Is pointing to something that's right there. So, Bezota Beracha, this is the Beracha. A Beracha that's about to be spoken by Moshe Rabbeinu. And as we mentioned last week, I believe, we find that the next four Pesukim are not a Beracha. It's very odd that a person would say, and this is the blessing. And then forget about the blessing. And then go into another subject. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu did. After it says, Vezota Beracha, immediately he goes for Pesukim on a different discussion. And then he goes into the Beracha in Pasuk Vav, Yehi Reuben de Al Yamot. Starts with Reuben and then Yehuda and the rest. Question obviously is why? If Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to give an introduction, you could have introduced whatever you wanted to introduce. And then say, Vezota Beracha. Why does he have to say, meaning there's no problem in giving an introduction to a blessing. You want to give an introduction, we'll see soon what that is. There's no issue with that. But why do you have to say, and this is the blessing, and then give a parenthesis. Why not give first, the back the the background what you want to give give the information and then say so i think the simple answer to this question is that there is a lesson in why he interrupted because moshe rabbeinu is telling you and i that when it comes to blessings even if the blessing came from Moshe Rabbeinu, who is Isha Elohim, I mean, it's not just Moshe Rabbeinu. It's Moshe Rabbeinu, who is an Ish Elohim. He's a man of God, which means everything he does is, is a godly action. Even such a blessing, such a beracha. Today, we go for berachot whenever we can. It's a very... Good thing to get a berachah from a great person. We get berachot from our parents, from our grandparents, great rabbis. Berachah is a powerful uh, tool of bringing the shefa. The shefa means the, uh, the abundance, the bounty of Hashem. Beautiful. So bringing the shefa down a berachah could be a very effective tool. One day we'll, we'll discuss that. 
how berachot work. Meaning simply berachot don't make sense. If the person deserves a beracha because of his actions, so why does he need to go get a beracha from somebody else? And if he doesn't deserve a beracha because his actions are not worthy, so why should it help to go to someone else for a blessing? This actually, by the way, it bothers a lot of people. A lot of people question such a reality where a person go gets a blessing. They don't understand what that blessing is. You so you're doing everything wrong, and you go get a blessing. What what what, what kind of joke is that? How does that work? But uh, like I said, that's for another time. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe even tomorrow or this week. It's an important subject. How how berachot work? A bottom line is. If, if berachot are important, you could imagine that the most important beracha or the most important person you can get a beracha from, from Adam Arishon till today was Moshe Rabbeinu. And especially, he's not Moshe Rabbeinu at 50, at 60, at 80. He's Moshe Rabbeinu of a complete 120. And it's the last day of his life. So you're talking about, you're talking about a very powerful beracha, a very powerful blessing. Vezota beracha, and then all of a sudden there's a break in the action. There's a break in the action. Why is there a break in the action? Because the Torah is telling you that even the berachot that are supposed to come through Moshe Rabenu for you. They will not have a place to lend unless you have the proper vessel to receive the berachot. Very simple. Which means that berachot, they need a vessel. Just like if a person gave you the finest wine and you had a wonderful bottle ready to receive the wine except that there was a hole on the bottom and you're sitting there excited about all the wine that's being poured into your bottle you're seeing all the blessings you're excited you come home and you're you, you're besides yourself how blessed you are look at all the bounty coming problem is when you have a hole in the bottom you can't retain you nothing and here the Torah is telling us and this is the beracha and very much connected to the beracha. First, let me tell you what's needed so that you can actually realize the beracha and the beracha can actually stay in your bottle. We mentioned last week that before he blessed Am Yisrael, he spoke about Hashem, the, Hashem's greatness. He praised Hashem. Do you remember we spoke about that? And that's really what he starts talking about. He starts praising Hashem, God's humility, and other things about Hashem. So that was the, that, that was the introduction. Seemingly, and first, you have to praise, and then you can ask Hashem for help. But Rashi Allah says, you know, it's, he says, 
why did Hashem choose specifically the praise that He did? Which praise did, Hash, did Moshe choose to praise God before He asked Him to help the Jewish people? Just like we do now, Amidah, like we mentioned last week. Before we ask, we praise. So, which praise does Moshe Rabbeinu choose when praising Hashem? He chooses by Yomar and he says, Adonai misinai ba. Hashem came from Sinai. Talks about how Hashem's humility. He came out to greet our people. When somebody's coming to you, you're a Hashuf person. People come to you. You wait for them to get there. They're coming towards you. But Hashem, Akadosh Baruch Hu, when Am Yisrael was coming to Sinai to get the Torah, Miss Sinai, Hashem came from Sinai. He didn't wait for them to get to him. He went out to go and greet them. That doesn't make sense. He didn't come from Sinai. Maybe he came to Sinai to give us the Torah. Why did it say he came from Sinai? Answer is, Hazal tell us. Because when Am Yisrael was going towards Har Sinai to meet Hashem, Hashem, instead of waiting for them there, to get to him, which is the normal way when you go to see a great person, you're on your way there, they wait for you. But as a sign of his humility and his derecheretz, Hashem says, how can I wait for someone to come to me? He went out, missed Sinai. He went from Sinai towards Am Yisrael to greet them. When somebody is coming towards you and you're able to, you should make some sort of effort to make an effort to go towards them. A person should not be an arrogant person where you wait people to come to you. If you can, go out to greet them either with your feet. And sometimes if you can't do it with your feet, you can do it with your words. You can do it with your hands. You do something that shows that you're going towards the other person and not that you're sitting back waiting for the people to come towards you. This is a sign of great humility that was on display by Har Sinai. And that is the praise that Hashem is giving, that Moshe is giving to Hashem. Look at, look at, look at Borei Olam. Adonai misinai ba. That's why, by the way, I mentioned this to you before, by a wedding, you'll notice that we copy this format that when the kala comes towards the hatan, she stops at some point and the hatan goes down to go get her back to the hubah. Seemingly, she, the, the, she's going towards him. What's the point of him going back to get her? Answer is we follow the pattern of Hashem and to teach the Hatan the first lesson in his marriage and that is that you need to work on your humility and even if someone is coming towards you because you're an important person make sure you lower yourself and you go towards them raising the other person 
that is coming to raise you. Good. Now, this is the praise that Hashem got from Moshe Rabbeinu's mouth. So again, here is the blessing. Oh, we got to praise Hashem. So the obvious question is from all the praise that you can give Hashem, why choose this subject? You could have spoken about the, uh, the Creator who made the world. You can spoke about his kindness and how he feeds the world. Because, I mean, there's no end. Ha'el, ha'gadol, ha'gibor, ve'anora. We also praise Hashem. So why specifically, ve'zota beracha, why specifically does Moshe Rabbeinu choose this praise of Hashem? The praise that has to do with him coming towards Am Yisrael by Har Sinai. Why? And by the way, he goes and continues. He continues. It says, he doesn't stop there. It says he came from Sinai to greet them. That's praise number one, showing his humility. Then it says, Before he came to Am Yisrael, he went first to Aisav and he offered them the Torah. So he came from Seir, before he was in Sinai. He came from Seir. And he took a visit to Ishmael. He asked Ishmael if he's interested in the Torah. Of course, they both rejected. Now, how, by the way, how is that a praise of Hashem? Why is that a praise of Hashem? That he went to offer the Torah to other nations. Why is that considered a Sheva? So the answer could be, and I hope you, I hope I say, I hope I say this the right way. I feel I'm about to say something very powerful, but I may not have the right words to say it. So you'll forgive me, but maybe you'll understand it yourself better than I'll say it, or together we'll, we'll say it better. Hashem knows that Esav and Yishmael and the other nations are going to reject His gift. Now, what would you do if you have something very beautiful, a beautiful gift to give to someone, and what happens when you give someone a gorgeous gift that you spent so many hours and days preparing, and they say, I don't want it. How would you feel? You'd feel rejected. You feel terrible. You feel hurt. Here you are. You, you gave them everything you had. You worked on it, you did, and you gave them, I don't want it. Anybody here like rejection? Nobody. It's one of the, it's one of the most dangerous feelings that a human can have on this planet. Rejection can create such terrible people. All from rejection. Great example. The first story after Adam Arishon in Gan Eden is a story of rejection. Cain killed his brother. That's just the, the end of the story. The real story is there was a man who was rejected. He brought a korban. He brought a gift to Hashem. Hashem says, I don't want it. And he got hurt. Who can blame him? The first story that the Torah gave us 
about murder. You can't get much worse than murder in this world. Especially if you're murdering the majority of the world. Right? Especially, not, not the majority. What was it? There were three people? And it was quite very significant. Maybe it wasn't the majority. But if you're, you're, especially if you're murdering a significant number of the world's population. Killed his own brother. Where did that come from? Answer is rejection. When you get rejected in this world, it's a very big pain that brings anger and brings out the worst in people. Some of the most evil people in the world's history came out of rejection. When you get rejected, even as a small child, you don't forget it. Is a guy that you see in shul 40 years later and you're still, when you see him, remembering 40 years ago when he rejected you. Somehow he did something, said something, ignored you. Rejection is a very powerful feeling that can create tremendous evil and it has. So now, here is Hashem really is getting rejected. He's giving these nations the most beautiful gift. And they say, we don't want it. We're not interested. Now Hashem knows the Torah is really not for them. He knows it's not for them. He knows Torah doesn't fit with them. So why did He offer it to them? Meaning he knows he's going to get rejected. You know, sometimes in life, you get rejected and it catches you, uh, you get blindsided. You get rejected, you weren't expecting to get rejected. But if you know you're going to get rejected, imagine, you know you're going to ask someone on a date, and you know for sure they're rejecting you 100%. They're never going out with you, ever. Guaranteed, in stone, no hope. It's not happening. And you go, and you, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't ask someone if you know you get rejected. Of course you avoid rejection. Imagine you ask a rabbi to come to your daughter's wedding. The rabbi says, I'm sorry. I really, I wouldn't come to your wedding. Whoa. That's like, that's, that's, that's harsh. No excuses. He didn't say I'm away. He didn't say, I, I don't think I could come to your wedding. How did you feel about that? that? Oh, that's rejection. Imagine you knew ahead of time that right, you're not going to ask. Why would you ever put yourself in a place where you're going to be rejected? The creator of the world knows that they are going to reject. And it's not going to be very, uh, you know, a, a great piece on his record that he was rejected by nations. Yet, what does Hashem do? He asks. This way, they don't have an excuse. Later on, they might ask, maybe in the future, hey, you never offered it to us, you never gave it to us. In order to be clean, in order to do the right thing, Hashem asks them, even though it's going to cost them rejection, 
but he was doing the right thing. You know, if you're doing the right thing in life, you don't have to worry about rejection. It's a very important principle. It would help a lot of people. So many times in life, we don't do what we need to do because we're afraid of the reaction. What will people say? Will people accept? Will they, will they reject me? Will they? So many people have not asked someone on a date or not willing to say yes to a date because they're afraid. You know, the first thing they ask, what the other side say? You know, the first thing they ask? You go ask, go ask, go ask a young man. So uh, I have this great girl for you. I have a great girl for you. Um, would you be interested? So, well, did someone talk to her? Nobody's ready to say yes until they're protected. You understand? That's what we do. But that's one, of, one example of many, many examples that very often in life we're afraid to do what we need to do because we're afraid of getting hurt. We're afraid to commit to something because we're afraid of the other side. And here Hashem displays for us how we should be in life. That if you're doing the right thing, don't worry about the rejection. Worry about what you need to do. If the right thing is to offer the gift, then that's what you do. If the right thing is to ask your rabbi to come to your wedding, you know he's going to tell you, no, I'm not coming to your wedding. But if that was the right thing, if the right thing from you would be to ask him, you ask him. You don't say, ah, you heard last, remember what he did to me last time? Never, I'm never going to ask him again. I'm never going to do that. Don't do the wrong thing because the other person is not accepting you. You must continue your actions in the right way. If you need to go on a date, if the girl is the right girl to date, or the boy is the right boy to date, then your job is to say, yes, I would do it. If she would accept, I would do it. Very few people really say that unless they're very desperate. But people who say that from strength, who are truly humble and real, and say, yes, I would go out with that girl if she would so accept. It's a very hard thing to do. This is the display of the beautiful midah of Hashem. That if you have to do what's right, you do it. And you don't worry about the other side. Because if you don't do the right thing, it's bad on you. Don't do the wrong thing because the other person may not be connecting to what you're doing. It's a beautiful midah. So there we go. Hashem, at the cost of rejection that he knew was coming, says, listen, I'm doing the right thing. Great people don't measure their actions by reactions. They measure their actions by what they do. If it's the right thing to do, it doesn't matter what the reactions are. And neither, by the way, is the wrong thing matter if it's the reaction. People love that reaction. If it's the wrong thing, it doesn't matter. 
it's possible that many, many people are reacting towards something that you did negatively and could be the right thing. And very often they could be reacting positively and it's the wrong thing. People's reactions don't really decide what's right and wrong. Let's go outside in the street and ask people, do you think it's okay to do this on the Sabbath? What do you think? Let's ask a thousand Jews randomly, do you think it's a good thing or do you think is anything wrong if we would do that on Shabbat? You know how much their opinion matters? Zero, nothing, it doesn't make a difference. Who cares what they think? It doesn't matter what they think, their opinion in this subject doesn't matter. So I respect you, but it doesn't matter what you think on this subject. So therefore my actions cannot be dependent on people's reactions because their reactions are not scientific. Their reactions aren't valid. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But one thing for sure is they're not dependable. So in life, before you act, you have to ask yourself, is this the right act? The reaction is not relevant. Good so far? That's what we learn from Hashem. This is what we're learning. Hashem went to Isav, He went to Ishmael. Do you guys want the Torah? Would you accept the Torah? He knows they're not accepting. What are you wasting your time with them? Because you guys do the right thing. You should not bypass nations and not give them the opportunity. Because one day they'll have a claim on you. And they'll say, listen, you didn't offer it to us. So you have to do the right thing in life. It doesn't matter what people are going to react. That's another praise of Hashem. But Rashi Alaba Shalom asks, from all the praises you could choose for Hashem, why specifically this one? Says Rashi something very powerful. Says Rashi, he chose, Moshe Rabbeinu chose praise that has yesh bo haskarad zechut Israel. He used a praise of Hashem. Basically, he knocked out two birds with one stone. He praised Hashem because he needs to before you could ask. You have to praise. But he chose a praise that would also show why Am Yisrael is fit. Why their bottle is complete and ready for the blessings of Hashem. Because if you don't have the keli, the vessel, no blessing is going to help you. So he says, I'm praising Hashem about Sinai and all that. Why? Why? Because in it, it shows why the Jewish people are fit for a blessing. What did the Jewish people do that makes them fit for a blessing? It's good to know that. Because by the way, Moshe Rabbeinu's blessing wasn't only for his time, it was an eternal blessing. And any blessing that we get, Answer is that when Hashem came to them in Har Sinai, they said, They made a commitment to Hashem. They said, Hashem, we are committed 
to your Torah, we're committed to this relationship. Imagine, this to me is mind-boggling, I'll tell you why. You have a nation that spent 40 years in the desert and don't, don't get uh, uh, confused by the few incidents in the Torah that are mentioned when they complained about the man, they complained about the meat. Those were the only incidents in 40 years that were problematic. Do you understand? Could you imagine you have a nation who lived 40 years together and we have a few complaints about them. Today, you could look at one person and stay with him for a few hours and you already have tickets. So you're giving out tickets? He would have already a few dozen. Especially if you could see what is going on in his mind. Forget about it. Hashem reads the mind. Hashem knows everything. From 40 years of an entire nation, we have a few stories in Sefer Bamidbar. One time a person told me, Sefer Bamidbar in the summer is very hard for me to read. Every parasha, we have a problem. First we talk about they got, they complain about the man, then the miraglim, then Korah, then Benot Moab with Pinehas, every parasha, another item. He says, can't these people get it right? He says, every year I, I read these parashiot and it bothers me. I told him, I said, maybe you should think about it a little different. I said, from 40 years in the desert, these were the only things that went wrong. 40 years, all you have is a couple of stories. And how do I know they're the only stories? Because the Torah is not shy to share with us things in our history that are not so appealing. You know, most historians, when they want to write about things in their country, they only write things that, and, that, and that's if they don't lie. They don't lie. Let's say they're honest. But they choose, you know, you could be honest and lie. You know that? You could be very honest and be the biggest liar. Let's say you took a video. You made a video of a guy's life. You said, oh, here is a documentary of this person. And you choose all the great things he ever did. For example, you take 30 scenes from his life, 30 of the best things he ever did. The guy would look like he's Moshe Rabbeinu. You'd walk away crying, crying, say, what? Sadiq, Yesod Olam, what a gadol, what a gadol. Or if a person wants, they can make a documentary about you. And they could choose the 30 worst things you ever did in your life. Remember that time you got angry and you lost it? And you said a lot of silly things? They got, they got it on the video. They took 30 of the worst things you ever did. And they made a documentary of your life. You know how you'd look after the documentary? You'd look somewhere in the league of Hitler and Mashemo. You'd be somewhere over there. Yeah, what a, what a. What a horrible person. What kind of person is this? Look at the way. By the way, if they made a movie about us, one or the other, they both can happen. But both movies are sheker. Both movies are lies. Because when you leave out information that's good or no good, so you're lying. 
even though you're telling the truth. You could tell the truth and be a liar at the same time. The Torah, usually, in a history book of a country or a nation, they don't put in any of the bad incidents in the history. They only talk about the great things and sometimes they even make things up. Sometimes they'll say things like, who never told a lie? Abe Lincoln. God bless him. He's a great man. But he never told a lie. When you're a historian, you want to bring the most beautiful thing about your nation. So you only talk about nice things. You make a documentary. You make a beautiful video for your father, for your mother. You know, you want to show them. What, what do they bring to the documentary? What do they bring to the videos? They bring beautiful pictures, beautiful videos. All positive things. They don't, they don't bring in bad incidents. Obvious. Because your goal is to bring out the beauty of the person. You ever see a family get together and make a video and they choose some ugly, bad things and put in the video? You don't do that. That's also a lie. It's also a lie. But okay, sometimes lies are necessary in that case. But the Torah, but the Torah doesn't do that. In fact, rarely in the Torah do you find Moshe Rabbeinu praising Am Yisrael. Probably only in this parasha. Rarely. Ashrecha Yisrael. Fortunate are you Yisrael. Hey, you don't see that in the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu Torah only mentions all the bad things. What a, what, who, who does that? Why are you mentioning the bad things? Who would mention the story of Yaakov and Isav the way it's written? Which nation wants that at the core of their history? The story of Yaakov and Isav and the Birachot. Who wants to share the story of Yosef and his brothers? That his brothers sold him, wanted to kill him. Why would you talk about that? Why would you talk about all these incidents in the desert? Answer is, because the Torah is called Torah Emet. The Torah is not there to make us feel good about ourselves. The Torah is there to guide us. And when there is something that happened that we need to know about, it guides us. So if the Torah shares with us these incidents, these were the incidents. It's actually very, very beautiful that out of 40 years in the desert, these are the only things they can look at. The only thing they can choose to, 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 to pick on. Oh. 40 years in the desert. The desert generation is called Dor De'a. Dor De'a means they were a generation of chokhmah, of wisdom. They learned Torah. They had nothing else, by the way. They couldn't work. They didn't have to work. They had nothing. There was, there was no jobs. They had nothing to do in their life. They had only thing they do, they learn. They learn from Moshe Rabbeinu. They learn Torah in the desert called Dor De'a. Yet, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he comes to praise them, he doesn't talk about 40 years of learning Torah and 40 years of keeping mitzvot and 40 years of dedication to Hashem. He doesn't talk about that. What does he talk about? An incident that happened 40 years ago, which was they committed... Hashem. They said Naseh Nishma. You know how many mitzvot they did when they did Naseh Nishma At that point, how many mitzvot did they do? How many boxes did they check off at that point? 
Zero. Zero. They didn't, know, they didn't do anything. They just said, And Moshe Rabbeinu has the choice to praise the Jewish people for 40 years of scholarship, 40 years of mitzvot, 40 years of dedication. What does he choose? He chooses the moment when they committed Nasevenishma. At that moment, they accomplished nothing yet. They just committed. But he bypassed all of the 40 years. That is what made the Jewish people a vessel for the blessings. Nasevenishma. Their commitment to be God's servants, a commitment to the relationship with Hashem. That means, in my eyes, that the commitment in a certain way is greater than 40 years of mitzvot. There are many people, they learn Torah, they do mitzvot, they keep Shabbat. Many good people that do a lot of good things. But they never once did Naseh and Ishma in their life. They never actually made their commitment to Hashem. I mean, yeah, they're great-great-grandfather in R.C. Night. But they're just a product of that. But they never actually made a commitment. Hashem, I am committed to do everything that you expect from me. You know, we think that in life, a lot of times you don't do the right things because uh, we're not capable or we're not ready or we're not. The real answer is, is missing in our lives. I'm telling you, this is a reality. You can have people learning Torah every day, doing mitzvot every day, doing a lot of beautiful things in their life. But they're missing Naseh Nishma. The most critical part of a great Jew is that point. Naseh Nishma, Because everything comes from that. A person Naseh Nishma means a person stands up. Everybody's got to have that Naseh Nishma moment in their life. Some people never have it. Many people, unfortunately, never have it. They heard about it but never really did it themselves. But to become something great in life, you need a moment where you turn to Hashem and say, Hashem, I am fully committed to this relationship. I am in. And now let me learn what I got to do. But I'm in. I don't know what's coming, but I'm in. That's what Am Yisrael did. And that's what made them a vessel fit for blessings. When does a Jew become a vessel that's fit for beracha? When they, not when they do good, not when they live 40 years in the desert and doing great mitzvot, that's beautiful, but the vessel that receives a blessing is when the Jew says, Hashem, I am committed to this relationship just like by a wedding, I am committed and that brings the person to have the vessel to get the berachot. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu specifically chose this praise because it shows 
why Am Yisrael is Zochet to the blessings of Moshe Rabbeinu. Tomorrow we'll continue why another item here mentioned about Am Yisrael that is a prerequisite for Berachat.